Welcome to Thinking Like a Lawyer, with your hosts, Ellie Mistal and Joe Patrice, talking about legal news and pop culture, all while thinking like a lawyer, here on Legal Talk Network. Hello, and welcome to another edition of Thinking Like a Lawyer. I'm Joe Patrice from Above the Law, and with me, as always, is Ellie Mistal. I'm coming into you from my house, which has the miasma of death upon it, as both of my children are sick. I'm not sick, but I definitely have this lingering cough from a time that I was sick a while ago, so I will occasionally cough too, make it feel more at home for you. Oh, that's great. Thank you. So this is what we'd like to characterize as our holiday special, as in we don't have a guest, but we're sitting around and it's you know, early in the morning and we're drinking and we're going to chat about things that bother us throughout the whole day. My guess is that this is going to be play off a lot like a 30 minute long version of Ellie's grinding of the gears, but one that will probably deal a lot with Star Wars. So we'll say right now, if you haven't seen the new movie, you will probably get spoiled if you keep going with this. Before we get to our to our main topic, I do want to grind my gears over another movie that you probably have seen and I probably can't spoil for you. That movie is called Aladdin. In Aladdin, there's a fictional town called Agrabah, where the main characters are from. And in a recent poll, 30% of Republican voters and 19% of allegedly smarter Democratic voters said that they would support the bombing of Agrabah, which shows that America is chronically, irreparably stupid. We basically don't deserve to live. We don't deserve to have the freedoms that we have if 30% of Republican voters and 19% of Democratic voters are going to bomb Agrabah. Yeah, it makes it makes absolutely no sense because Jafar, no matter what you say about his policies, he's been a bulwark against ISIS. And <laughs> he's a friend in the region. And it's time that we stand up. No, uh, seriously, and I, I give full credit that joke uh, – I saw on Twitter, and I said, I've got to hold on to that one. It goes to our fundamental problem. It's why we can't beat them, because we don't even know where they are, right? Like, we, do, we don't, we don't, we won't, as a country, like, hunker down and actually deal with the pro- with even understanding the region that we are messing with, and then we wonder why we lose. Yeah, I mean, that that's similar to the take I had on it. I think a lot of people sending it around were trying to say, look at how dumb these people are. But I kind of took a different take, which is this is kind of frightening how easily our lack of cultural knowledge can lead to a Disney approximation of what a Arabic-sounding name would sound like being something that anyone can hear and go, yeah, I guess that's over there. And not just, but again... Not just, I guess that's over there, but I guess that's over there, and we should raise it to the ground, right? It's, it, it's, yes, it's, it's that's the fair. Two, it's the two-pronged of, I don't really know where that is. If the sand was made to glow, as GOP frontrunner Donald Trump likes to say, um, I would be okay with that. I'm going to give the benefit of the doubt there. The, the question was asked, should we bomb them, which implies already that there's something wrong with them. No one asks the question, should we bomb Bahrain? Um, Houston. 
put yeah i would say yes to that well right it's no one's asking it in that framing and to the extent it's in that framing i could see why somebody jumps to the conclusion that it's something to bomb uh but that also gets me into the presidential election where obviously we have serious serious geopolitical international issues and yet we are obsessed with the quote-unquote likability and authenticity of the people running not their qualifications not what they would do in office, but whether or not the candidate is likable, which leads us all to this past Democratic debate, Hillary Clinton, who, better or worse, is the most qualified person to run for president since probably George H.W. Bush, right? I mean, and that she worked is, out um, well for everybody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But she is immensely qualified for this job, but we're not really talking about her qualifications. And at the end of her debate, she has to end it with, may the force be with you. Why yeah. is she doing that? She's trying to sound – she's like the old grandma trying to sound hip and with it. I mean it, it's really bad. From my perspective, I, I think it's bad because Senator Barbara Mikulski has owned that for years. That's been her thing for years, and I thought it was a little cheap that Hillary tried to jump on board just to newsjack the new movie. But no, it, you mentioned the idea that it's about qualifications rather than likability – but I, it, that got me thinking, because you mentioned this to me the other day, and I'm going to slightly devil's advocate. Should it really be about qualifications? And I, I mean, you would say that, except I'm one of those folks who thinks that one of the good parts of the burgeoning federal government is so many decisions can now be made by bureaucrats who specialize in things, and that the president no longer needs to be a specialist in everything, a to modern Thomas Jefferson, but someone who has the temperament and mentality to manage people who actually do know things. And so maybe it I, is actually important to find somebody personality-wise. See, I don't know. I think it depends on what you're voting on. Like, I, I actually am not a qualifications voter because I vote more for aspiration and moral, moral center than right. I do about qualifications. But if you're one of these people who's running around thinking that terrorism is the most important thing in the world and we're all going to die because Agrabah is coming to get us then maybe you should vote for the candidate that's actually qualified and has experience dealing with these people, and maybe that's what you should care about more than whether or not she saw the latest Star Wars movie. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think there's some degree to that. But I, the, the presidential election is a weird, a weird kind of one-off for America. It's is weird your, than, your word for stupid? Is that, is that No, it, I mean, it's different than any other election even or any choice that we make. We're, we're selecting one person to kind of stand for a melange of ideas. You need them to be qualified, but you also need them to be personable. You need them to be the sort of person that you would trust there. Like all of these things to different people have different, uh, on the scale, on the, on the range of faith that they put in different markers of trust, some trust qualifications, some trust friendliness, some trust, like that you, you want a person who can be all that to a majority of people. And that creates these weird moments where a secretary of state is saying, may the force be with you, because they have to appeal on multiple levels. And that's maybe not the best thing about the way the country operates, but I think it's a, it's a fair reflection of what the presidential election has been. That's not how the first force works, Joe. Yeah, nice, nice, good call. <laughs> Which um, should, let, let, yeah. did, you, did you see the Star Wars? I have, I have seen the Star Wars. Let, let, let's let's transition let's transition to that first of all i'm just gonna before we start spoiling it for everybody just just i want your ranking now that we've seen this movie rank the seven star wars movies in order please 
Um, okay, well, I mean, Empire Strikes Back is the best. I think that's fair. Um, By acclamation? Yeah. I personally preferred Jedi over the original New Hope. Even though the New Hope's the original, I, I, I liked Jedi. I thought it, I thought it even, for, even with teddy bears, I thought it was fun. Uh, it's because you're soft, but okay. Yeah. That, then I actually think this one probably comes in, and then A New Hope, and then, well, actually, there are only four Star Wars movies, so that's <laughs> the end of that. I just don't see how you can rank this one over A New Hope when this one is really just a remake of New Hope. I mean, it's you, the same movie. I mean, I don't know as though that's, I, I've heard that argument. I don't know as though that's entirely true. It, it certainly draws a lot of beats from it, but that's also, that, one thing that I've been arguing with people about who've raised that point is, if you were looking for something new and original, then you probably shouldn't be watching Star Wars. The entire motivating, <laughs> the motivating point of the movies was Joseph Campbell's work. So the entire point of the movies from, from Jump was, here's a constantly repeating monomyth, now it's in space. Like, the point is to be unoriginal. It's to draw upon universal themes and universal ways in which mythology has always operated cross-culturally. And if you say, well, but this was the kind of the same as the past one, it's like, well, right, that was the whole point. Um, I try not to put my lawyer hat on very much when I watch these movies, and I certainly try not to put my science oh, I hat on. I always put the lawyer hat on. Why uh, wouldn't you? When I watch these movies. But I thought this one in particular uh, just hit me in the face um, with the issue of droid rights. Um, I think that droid rights are always kind of in the subtext of the Star Wars universe. They're never really well explained in the Star Wars universe, um, but I thought they were really put front and center um, in The Force Awakens. Uh, if you haven't seen it, there, there is a scene where uh, BB-8, the adorable soccer ball droid, is briefly captured by a scavenger or a trader or some kind of traveling desert salesman. This movie's version um, of a Jawa. This movie's version of a Jawa, without the, uh, without the racism. Uh, <laughs> And our, our hero, Ray, um, hears the droid, saves the droid, and as she's cutting the droid out of the net, yells at the traitor, he respects nothing. And it got me thinking, like, what, what are you obligated to respect about droids and their rights? Because later, later, uh, uh, just a few scenes later, um, the same hero character is offered an immense amount of food, and they make it a really—they do a really good job of of explaining to you just how much food she is being offered in exchange for the droid. And she briefly contemplates selling the droid for food. She she doesn't because she's the hero. It definitely seemed to me, like from her perspective, that she thought she had the right to sell the droid for food. And she just chose not to. What what rights, if any, do droids have in this universe? Yeah, I mean, it's a very troubling question. Now, I'll go back to another movie that you may or may not have seen that was actually a great movie until the very ending of it ruined the whole point of it. But Steven Spielberg's AI, one of the beats that goes through in that is that the droid, the an uh, androids, well, droids, whatever, the robots are <laughs> ripped apart for sport and it's kind of humorous and they're they're purely chattel but this one who can express true emotion like actually feels things and is reaching a quasi level of sentience cools everybody and they get turned off by the idea of causing pain to these things because they are starting to see glimpses of humanity and the problem with the droids in the star wars universe is they are treated purely as humorous chattel right up until 
you know, right up till and including them showing obvious humanity about what's going on to them. Like, C-3PO does not want to be sold to Jabba the Hutt, and yet that <laughs> happens, and I, I don't understand how you, how you do that in this society. Um, and he's very sad about it. That's the thing, especially now that Disney has the has control of this franchise. Like, if Disney knows knows how to do one thing, it's the anthropomorphize uh, <laughs> some non-human entities. And BB-8 in this movie, he shows such clear sadness. He he shows he gets damn near depressed when he thinks his master um, has been killed. Which brings us back to the to the question of, so he has a master now? So yeah. Well, I mean, I I think they're supposed to be considered more like, I think the R2 units and BB-8 and stuff like that, I think you can make the argument that they are much more akin to pets who do show some degree of sadness and whatever, but you wouldn't blink at the idea of a pet being sold. I'm more troubled by the C-3PO's of the world who are very obviously able to communicate on par with with humans and the, there's very little gap there. Whereas I think you can say that BB eight is basically an intelligent puppy. So you're saying, but that's only because you understand what C3PO is saying and you don't understand what BB eight BB eight has to be translated for you. Uh, it, to some extent, obviously that's true. Now you're, you're venturing into the argument that our friends in the animal law world are arguing all the time when there are cases that we've written about it above the law about the, about the animal liberation folks who are trying to get at least some rights for some chimpanzees who have been locked up in upstate New York in really horrible conditions, like locked in dark tool sheds and thrown meat every day, kind of. Right. And they've been arguing that, you know, there's not much difference between them and humans and that the only reason that we think there is is that there is no translation. And I'm not sure exactly how accurate that case is obviously it's not been successful but that's the territory you're venturing into when you suggest that the kind of playful bb8 character is the same as a human but for here understanding what they're saying it definitely seems that the republic and the good guys treat droids more like pets while as the empire and the bad guys treat droids more like slaves right that that that's one of the ways that we as the audience is supposed to understand uh, who's good and who's bad in this universe, right? See, I don't know. I've never seen the Empire mistreat uh, anything, really. Right? Oh, there's the droid that's getting his feet burned in Jabba's thing. And, yeah, and, and, and Jabba's not part of the Empire. Like, that's the thing. I've seen Jabba do bad things. I, the Empire only have those things that, like, roll around and squeak, and they seem pretty cool with them. That's You know what? You're right. That's, yeah. that, that's on Jabba's ship. That's not... Yeah. <laughs> that's not no, part the of the Empi- Empire proper. A, one of many reasons why the Empire, there's not really many reasons to think they're evil that aren't oh, explicitly gosh. told to you. No, oh, it, gosh. No, no, no. I'm, I'm not saying that they aren't, but they're, as a lawyer, I look at this, and the only evidence that you have that, they're, that they are evil is stuff that I got without a warrant. Like, I, I saw, like, personal conversations that the Emperor had, but outwardly, I never saw anything about them that seemed all that awful. Except for the whole destroying entire planets of people, right? You saw that. Hey, I mean, I mean, they were they were defending themselves against a militant separatist group. They have no weapons. Oh, Alderaan oh. had no weapons. Oh yeah, and Leia's never lied before. She also said that the that their base was on Dantooine. That wasn't true either. She can't be trusted. She's a senator. Uh, no, it shows that torture doesn't Career work because they'll tell you anything. 
career oh, politician. Uh, I, I think I think the Empire does more than enough evil things um, in the original trilogy. In this trilogy, they blow up like four planets. Yeah, well, I mean, they this trilogy, they and that's actually one thing that I thought was better about this. I think there's much more outward signs that these people are bad than there ever were in the original series. They got they got General Goebbels over there. Um, they really do. It is it it really turns off the the subtlety switch that might have existed on the Nazi parallels in the original series and just goes, no, no, we're going to go all in here. Um, do you understand the political structure of this new movie? Because it's a bit, it's... Uh, no. Something weird has happened in the thir- in 30 years. One of the best theories that I've heard is that the uh, the killing, the, the, the destruction of the second Death Star at the end of Jedi um, represents a catastrophic victory for the rebel forces. That, they, yes, they won, but they were kind of completely unable to take advantage of of what they had accomplished, and so they, they weren't able to capitalize on their victory, and they actually allowed something worse to replace what they had destroyed, um, this basically being a parallel to uh, U.S. involvement in Iraq, where we had a catastrophic victory um, by deposing Saddam Hussein. Interesting theory. I, I kind of, uh, I thought it was more like, Winning World War II, but, you know, the Nazis all escaped to Antarctica and are building their base there. We just don't know about it. Anyway, but that, that, that's a conspiracy theory that is popular for those. Do you people. mean Argentina? No, no, no. Like they, no, there's a conspiracy theory that they have a base in Antarctica and they're just waiting to come back. That, that is like, like today? What, that is, yes, that is what actual tinfoil hat folks think. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. But anyway, like, no. No, but I thought it was more like that. Like, look. The, the galaxies are big places, and the, while the science of Star Wars is not particularly good, I think the argument is that they may have, they may have regained control of some areas of the, of the vast expanse, but not others, and, you know, fragments. I think it's clear the they never lost effect. control of some areas, right? Yeah, I mean, exactly, that there's, there's still out there areas that never, never fell the stupid final scene that was added in the special editions of Return of the Jedi notwithstanding, blowing up one thing doesn't automatically lead to everyone tearing down statues. So, I rewatched those all the those special edition things before this just to like remember what happened and oh my god. George Lucas All the all the changes are oh. are, are I still have I still have the original trilogy on uh, VHS. Well that brings I... us to something that I think is a interesting legal discussion, which is Kind of the nature, I mean, generically the nature of copyright and whether or not George Lucas should be going around and messing with everyone's childhoods, even if he originally introduced the idea. Well, and why, secondly, don't you, why don't you, yeah. just, just in case the audience isn't up to speed, why don't you just quickly walk, through, walk us through how you can uh, uh, watch the unedited, yes. um, unlucasized Star Wars um, in HD? It's actually pretty incredible. Uh, our colleague Catherine wrote this a uh, while back on ATL Redline, which is a website where Ellie writes largely. And mm. there is a version that some very, very dedicated fans who have some audiovisual expertise have been building. By and no take- girlfriends. Yeah, it, apparently. Uh, well, not necessarily. I mean, some of these folks, they're all, they don't have... They're obviously doing this anonymously, so these could be women helping out too. Uh, but they take old uh, the laser discs and the HD version, the parts that Lucas hasn't touched, as well as a laser disc thing, and they an original print of the film that they have that's not perfect, but that they can use. And they take all of these different sources and are slowly and surely building an HD version 
that has the original color palette and vibrancy and none of the Lucas stuff from the original trilogy that was theatrically released, which is a much more difficult task than one would think. They actually have a video up that's about 15 minutes long explaining the steps that they went through to get to this point. And it, it's it's incredible what they've managed to pull together. There are scenes that they can't get a good non-Lucas version of, so they found still photographs of the scene and are reconstructing all those frames and then photoshopping the parts that need to be photoshopped in of that reconstruction. And they have a working version that can be downloaded. Illegally. That can be illegally downloaded. Well, which it, is, I think... actually, that's an interesting question. It, is it illegal? And I that was the conclusion of some, but it's certainly not been something that action has been taken. The the people well, who I have, have... I, I have a friend who's a, who's a movie buff um, and a writer named uh, Chris Kelly who has been yelling at me. Should anything ever, should he download this? He believes that it would be totally uh, fair use. Now he is a writer, not a lawyer. Um, I've basically said that's not how fair use works. I mean, <laughs> it, it. Well, I mean, I think the argument it, there is an argument about that. I think there's a very there's a good and robust history of fair use for the purpose of historical preservation. Uh, if you if you're doing something that is a copyright violation for the purpose of maintaining a historical artifact that has broader interests no. beyond just you, it is actually a fair use exception. Now the question here that gets a little more complicated is, I think a lot of us would view those films and the impact that they had on society. Getting them back to their original version that had that impact on people would be a historical archivist's job. Unfortunately, I think, no, it's also a one. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm not saying that it's not fair use for the people who are making the, this uh, non-Lucasized HD version, but for the people who are downloading it, no, I that's, mean, it, that's it, your problem. I mean, it's it's not being done for money, so it like there there's no money changing hands here, so it's not in any way an instance where the copyright is being taken advantage of, except to the extent that somebody might do this in lieu of giving money to buy the Blu-ray edition. However, the people who make it make a condition, obviously it's hard to enforce, but make a condition of downloading it that people should buy the Blu-ray edition as well in order to stay on the up and up that this is historical archiving. Yeah, I think that's... Would you really want to roll into court with that? Um, I, I definitely think that you can roll into court with the historical archivist argument as far as what they're doing. The question of whether or not providing it to the public is in some way diverting, diverting uh, commerce from Disney is a, is a harder argument. But they have been very good about making it – it's not like you can just go on YouTube and grab this. They make it very difficult. You have to register with them. They have to know who you are. So – it makes it more – there are more barriers to overcome, and that increases the likelihood that the people who are doing it are people who are following their licensing suggestions and actually buying the DVD – I mean the uh, Blu-ray. And if you're buying the Blu-ray edition, it's very, very difficult to argue that they're diverting commerce. We need a declaratory uh, judgment from, from some kind of court on the legality of this. Before. Oh, it, it, is, it is very much a difficult question. It's one that is – that is probably going to be challenged at some point. Although, you never know. The, the Star Wars... Well, you no, with Disney, you know. With Disney, you know. I mean, sort of. Although, I'm not, we're not privy to a lot of the things that went into that purchase agreement. Lucas always had a 
reasonably hands-off approach to people making fan films and parodies. And since Disney has bought the property, it does not appear as though fan films and parodies have been more aggressively pursued. So it's possible that they are taking a hands-off approach to people who are trying to do something that is not diluting of the trademark. Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. You believe that Disney? Uh, you, I don't think you can trust Disney as far as you can throw them. Um, I think that they've tried to come into this without making waves up till this point. But as their as their IP uh, starts to surpass Lucas's IP um, in terms of the new movies that they're making and what right. and and how they want to market um, their stuff. Already, we've had controversies about whether or not they're even going to keep selling the slave bikini. I, I mean, we're we're Disney is not going to mess around, does not mess around um, with these kinds of issues. Yeah, I mean, Disney obviously has reached the point that it has because it's very good about protecting its intellectual property. It's it's actually more or less rewritten intellectual property law in the United States by itself. So it... (laughs) I mean, Mickey Mouse should be the in the force public. is strong with Mickey. Mi- Mickey Mouse should be in the public domain by any actual measure, right? And or right. was, but would have been until they amended the copyright laws to make sure it wasn't. All right, that's all I got for this movie. Without, I know we've completely spoiled it, but that's all. That's all. Legally, that's all I have. We wanted to talk about science. There be a whole. I actually think we very minorly spoiled things. I mean, um, that, that we they should, we should that they blow. Yeah, that they blow up things was kind of obvious from trailers. We should get uh, Tyson on, uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson on, to talk about the science of this. Yeah. um, Of this pulp. Yeah, so, and we actually dealt with a lot of uh, legal issues as we went through this this film. Go see the movie, it's fun. Yeah, no, it is. Uh, I thought it was was reasonably well made. Uh, And I'm not a J.J. Abrams fan generally, but I thought... I've already seen it twice. Oh, wow. Um, I thought that it was great. I thought it was a cool way that he could get all of his buddies who are out of work ever since they finished, ra- they wrapped on Lost, get new parts. It's ridiculous. Uh, it, was, it, it was really like playing a find the find the J.J. Ab- Abrams acolyte. Oh, wait, there's Greg <laughs> Grunberg. Oh, wait, there's that guy from Lost. I keep, I keep, I'm so surprised that people still remember that guy more as the pilot from Lost. He's Parkman from Heroes, man. Yeah, I guess. He's the mind reader from Heroes. All right, that's it. Yeah. Christmas okay. time. Yes. Holiday uh, time, It sorry. is, though this probably, well, and it will probably be after after the holidays by the time this comes out. But so we'll by the time see. this comes out, I'll still be trying, I'll be, I'll be in a back alley trying to uh, recuperate some funds. Yeah, that, those are some dark times for you, I know. Merry Christmas, Jeff. <laughs> Mer- well, Merry, well, if you're going to. I'm going to keep the war on Christmas going and say happy holidays there. All right. Happy New Year. Yeah. So if you enjoyed this, you should subscribe on your various podcast delivery devices. Also, give us a review. Give us some stars on iTunes, anything like that that helps us move up their search algorithm. Uh, You can follow us on Twitter. You can read our work at Above the Law and ATL Redline. I think that's everything off the top of my head. Anything else? I hope so. Good. All right. Talk to you later. Peace out, guys. If you'd like more information about what you've heard today, please visit LegalTalkNetwork.com. You can also find us at AboveTheLaw.com, ATLRedline.com, iTunes, RSS, Twitter, and Facebook. 
The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer.